0: Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed the snow globe that was out there this morning. God shook up the, the snow for us today. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses of Genesis chapter 6. But before I get started, I don't know if you've ever played tennis or golf with people. And, uh, you know, before you start the match, you got to tell people, you know, what's going on. Like, you know, boy, I just... I. I hurt my knee earlier this week, so, you know, when I play tennis, I probably won't be so good this week, or I pull my shoulder. Oh, so I can't swing the tennis racket so good. So, you know, you want to lay things out on the table before the match starts because you can't bring that stuff up later, right? So so just so just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, so Kathy and I, we had planned to go on a spring break uh, this last week, and we went down to Florida, had a lovely time. We had a wonderful plan about how to come back in such a way yesterday uh, that we'd be able to get home in time to get a good night's sleep and be able to be here. And uh, as it would happen with all the snowstorms and stuff like that and ice and everything, things got messed up while we were down in Florida and Fort Myers. And um, so through a series of unfortunate events, um, we were delayed considerably uh, to such an extent that uh, I got home at 6.30 this morning. Yeah, right. That's what I said. <laughs> so I got home at 6.30, jumped in the shower, and then, uh, you know, looked through the message one more time and then came here. So good morning. I want you to know that as soon as this is over, I'm going to go to bed <laughs> and it's going to be great. So let's take a look at these 10 verses here and let's see how, what the Lord has for us here. Here we go. Verse 1 of Genesis 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, as all of you know, there is a lot of conflict in our world right now. The Ukraine crisis with no end in sight other than the total obliteration of the people and country of Ukraine, it seems. With more and more casualties stacking up on both sides, and all I can think, as I'm sure you can, is what a waste. Territorial disputes globally in the China Sea, with China having its eyes on Taiwan along with the maritime waters of Vietnam. Unresolved issues from the war in Afghanistan still prevail. And of course, maybe you heard over the weekend, Iran's lobbing missiles at the U.S. consulate in Iraq as of yesterday, and then of course, there's always Korea, North Korea that is. But not only are we in ongoing conflict with each other globally as we seek to dominate and destroy, we ourselves as individuals find ourselves in conflict with each other we find ourselves in conflict with each other at the checkout line or in traffic. Sometimes we're even at war against ourselves. Years ago, I was dealing with a, a young family, at the church I was serving. And uh, what I want to share with you today is a tale of two Kevins. And this first Kevin I want to share with you about a lovely family, you know, beautiful wife, three boys. Uh, everything you can imagine to live for, a good career. And uh, yet he could not and would not stop drinking. He drank and he drank and he drank. And of course, they ended up in my office for counseling as they started attending our church and I started working with them, trying to help them through their issues. And uh, things got so hot, so messed up with this relationship. At one point, uh, you know, he stormed out of the office she was pleading with him to make things right and to choose a different course, take a different path. And as they got to the door, he took his wedding ring off his finger and he threw it at her. You can imagine how she must have felt when that happened. And as most gals, she probably remembers to this day that moment as maybe even what he was wearing when he threw it. The bottom line was that Kevin was determined to be way more married to the bottle than to be married to his wife to such an extent that Kevin is no longer with us. He's gone. He drank himself to oblivion. Tragic waste of a life. Beloved, we need to understand what's going on and what's at stake Please know with great certainty that our blatant rebellion against God has had incredibly negative consequences. But at the same time, as we'll see today, our righteous obedience to God will always bring God's favor. We, as Christ followers, need to do everything we can to overcome evil with good in the power of Christ. Last week, we talked about walking with God. We talked about Enoch, and here we have another person in the Old Testament being spoken of as someone who walked with God, as we'll explore in just a few moments. But we've gone back to the beginning in our series, the book of Genesis, overcoming evil with good is our discussion point today. I'd like to remind you the overall schematic of what's going on in terms of how this incredible text is unfolding for us as we've been studying for several months now. Here we have this incredible garden that God had made for Adam and Eve and now Adam and Eve have rebelled against God, and God has promised that there will be a child, a seed will be coming from the woman who will destroy evil once and for all. And of course, the evil one has now purposed to attack the seed line at every turn. Initially, God made it very clear what was going to take place. And so the evil one, knowing the game plan, starts his attack. And what does he attack first? Cain and Abel. If I can have one of the boys follow me and have him take out the other, I win. But it didn't go. The seed line did not go through Abel. It went through Seth. And now we're going to see something similar. The evil one now thinks, I know if I can have the righteous line interbreed with the unrighteous line, I can corrupt the whole race. And that's where this is going to go. So stay tuned for that. Three truths I want to share with you this morning. Before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray for me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, we need all the help we can get today. Uh, but this is your day. This is your word. We want to hear from you more than anything. And so, Lord, use uh, these truths from your text to touch our hearts. Help us to, to hear only from you more than anything So, Lord, thank you. Move in this place. Move in our hearts. Touch our hearts and our minds by the power of your word through your spirit. We ask this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon outline, here's the first truth in our study this morning. Blatant rebellion against God has consequences. We have several consequences that are unfolding in this very passage, the first three verses. Blatant rebelling against God has consequences. First of all, it brought about a limited lifespan. Did you catch that? In verse 1, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. His day shall be 120 years. It seems that at this moment, God limits the lifespan. Prior to this, we see men living for hundreds of years. We even mentioned last time we gathered, Methuselah, 969 years. Adam himself lived 930 years. Here, 120 years. By the way, do you know anybody to this day that has lived over that? Do you know anybody over 120 today? No, no. In other words, what God says is the way it is. Even from way right back in Genesis chapter 6. And I, I don't know about you, but I stand amazed at that. But we need to talk for just a moment, a little a side discussion, about these sons of God who saw the daughters of man. What, who, is, who are these people? And what is this about? Now there are those who've tried to put a negative or even an evil implication with this phrase, the sons of God, using passages from Job to link the evil one, that is Satan, with the sons of God somehow, suggesting that demon-possessed men or even demons themselves intermarried with the daughters of man and uh, somehow corrupted the whole race. However, I'd like to offer more simple biblical explanation. Now, again, I've got dear friends who hold to that line of thinking I just described. I'm just not so convinced based on what's clearly presented with what we have here. I think it's sufficient, and I, I think you'll find it that way too. Again, whatever's happening here is clearly demonic. I'll tell you that. It's, why? It's, it's of evil influence. But in terms of demons cohabitating with people, I just, I don't think so. It turns out that along with other Old Testament passages, the New Testament is adamant that those who are referred to as the sons of God are always, 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 always seen in a positive light scripturally. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall be what? They shall be called the sons of God. That's a positive thing. Luke 20:34. Jesus in defending marriage. He says, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. That's a positive connotation. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. These are very positive contexts related to that phrase, that idea of sons of God. So then, what was the blatant rebellion that was so worthy of the judgment of a global flood from a biblical perspective? What appears that the sons of God are the faithful, believing descendants of Seth from 4.26. If you read, look at Genesis 4.26, it says what? It was at that time that men began to call on the name of the Lord. When Seth was born, and the daughters of men are apparently the descendants of Cain. We have God-fearers and non-God-fearers. A godly remnant now intermarrying with an ungodly remnant. It would seem from the context of the passage that the main issue is the godly line intermarrying with the ungodly line. And now, let's just look at the text of the rest of Scripture and find that that turns out to be thematic throughout the whole Bible. Don't intermarry those who are not of the faith. Exodus thirty-four 12 won't be on the screen. Listen closely. God, through Moses, says, "'Take care, lest you make a covenant "'with the inhabitants of the land to which you go.'" lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons and whore after their gods. Don't do this. Don't intermarry, it says. Deuteronomy 7, 3. Furthermore, Moses goes on to write for us on behalf of the Lord. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The idea here is the best way to stay out of trouble is don't go near any. Right. 2 Corinthians 6:14. Paul adds, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. By the way, that's all that God has ever wanted. I'll be God, you'll be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I've got a dear friend of mine, a pastor friend out in Wyoming, and he, he always works with our, our youth groups that we've taken out there for years, and he says this to our young people that I've taken out there. He says to the young people, don't date the dead. It's brilliant. Don't date the spiritually dead. Why, why would you do that? You want to find someone who loves Jesus as much as you do, if not more. Now, Ryan and Stephanie are here. Where'd they go? Where are they? There they are. They just got married last Saturday. See? Equally yoked. It's beautiful. Yeah, awesome. Two believers loving each other. They didn't date the dead. <laughs> with our scriptural definition of the sons of God, along with a the thematic warning against intermarriage of the righteous and the unrighteous, we can confidently conclude that the rebellion spoken here in Genesis 6 is more than likely the intermarriage of the sons of the godly line of Seth with the ungodly line of the daughters of Cain. And because of this rebellion, it brought about a limited lifespan initially. That's where we started this discussion. But not only that, secondly, it brought about a corrupt generation. Notice what it says in verse 4. Again, by way of reminder, the seed line is being attacked. That's what the, the evil one knows, that some where a child is going to come that's going to destroy me. I need to corrupt the whole seed line so that doesn't happen. Verse 4, we're told the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continually. Now, again, what I'm longing for us to be able to do here is let the text of the Scripture interpret the text of the Scripture. That's what we've already done by way of asserting this idea of this intermarriage problem that seems to be thematic throughout all of Scripture. And then we talk about these Nephilim, and people have all kinds of ideas. Oh, I know who they were. That's that demon race thing. And I'm like, I'm just not convinced that that's there. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just, I I don't have enough data in the scripture to convince me of that. Great wickedness, it says. Well, how corrupt was it? Did you read that? Did you hear it? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continually. Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, a lot of us have this idea, well, I'm mostly a neutral, I'm really a pretty good person. No, we're not. We have this idea that somehow we're like a, like a glass of water with a little dirt in it, we're a little partly cloudy, maybe. But no, we're like a big junk mess of motor oil that's blah 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 blah. You know, we're, we're disasters in us. Let's be honest. I didn't write this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's David saying this. From the very beginning, out of the womb, I'm full of corruption. Psalm 53, one through 3 this won't be on the screen. Listen close. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed aboundable injustice. There's no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. So then, who are these Nephilim? Who are these people? In Hebrew, literally, they are the fallen ones. Nephal means to fall. Eem is plural. They're the fallen ones, descendants, if you will, of the intermarriage of the Canites and the Sethites. Perhaps unusually large men, giants per se. Matter of fact, we end up with giants later on. A guy like Goliath, who stood nine feet tall or better. And we can go, "Oh, nine feet? That's nonsense. That's out of hey, the guy's the most tall, the tallest guy in the world at one point, not too long ago. Robert Wadlow, eight eleven. Yeah, not too far away." capable of great rebellion, the text says. And by the way, how many generations does it take to corrupt a generation? One, that's all it takes. From verse four, children were born, men of renown, literally men of name. These are likely the descendants of Cain that were listed from Genesis 4, 20 through 22, men of name. They were the descendants of Cain who are now intermarrying with godly women. The whole thing is now being corrupted. So it brought about a limited lifespan. It brought about a corrupt generation. Thirdly, it brought about God's sorrowful judgment. Now, this is uh, one of these areas in Scripture that sometimes we puzzle over, right? Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. We puzzle about that. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here we are reminded that even though God is sovereign over all things, he is yet a being who can be grieved over our sin and and our rebellion. Why? Because of his great love for us. We need to remember that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, through the exercise of his justice, Ezekiel 18:32, the great prophet says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God, therefore repent and live. That's a better thing for us to listen to, repent and live. Ezekiel 33:11. he goes on to say, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Over and over again, God longs for us to return to him, and to make things right. Have you done that? Have you returned to him? Have you made things right? Secondly this morning, righteous obedience will always bring God's favor. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, it says. Well, what happens with this kind of favor? If you are under the favor of God, a lot of wonderful things are headed your way. God will bless you with every good thing. Scripture says, the psalmist writes, 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you blessing favor honor i'm like where do i sign up for that ah you need i i need to look after the things of god yes i need to live and follow him walking uprightly through christ secondly god will preserve you psalm 145 20 the lord keeps all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy he'll bless you with every good thing he'll preserve you thirdly here god will make your path straight Solomon writes in Proverbs 3.1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life, and peace shall add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor. Ah, there it is again. And good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. My wife's favorite verse. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your straight. He'll make straight your paths. This is our God. He'll make your paths straight. He'll preserve you. He will bless you with every good thing. But fourthly, here don't miss this. He'll grant you the desires of your heart. Psalm thirty-seven, three. Now this is my favorite passage. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and what will he do? He will give you the desires of your heart. What a wonderful, awesome truth. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I'm like, where do I sign up for this? The desires of my heart, you guys, I've banked my whole life on these truths. For those who walk uprightly, for all who love him, trusting in him with all your heart, delighting yourself in him, trusting in him, doing that which is good, Dwelling in the land and cultivating faithfulness. Well, how long is that going to take? So <laughs> we have this idea, you know, God's like a vending machine. I put the quarter in, I get my candy bar. Well, I know it's more like $1.50, but hey, you understand what I'm saying. That's not how God works. Maybe this takes a lifetime. Maybe the reward is beyond the here and the now. The writer of Hebrews speaks of this. In Hebrews 11, those men of faith listed in Hebrews, awesome men of faith, men and women, we should say, who in some cases did not receive the reward this side of eternity. Why? Because they were longing for a city somewhere else, something better for them. Again, if you bank everything on the here and the now, you lose It's way more about the there and the then than it is about the here and the now. Righteous obedience will always bring God's favor in God's time. Will you trust him in that? Lastly today, and don't miss this, we need to do all we can to overcome evil with good. Well, how do we do this? Well, this can only be done in the power of Christ. Why? In my own strength, I can't do it. I I can't do it good enough, long enough. I don't know about you. How you're doing out there but i need christ in me to get a clue on how this works romans 12:18 paul reminds us if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all and by the way you know in some cases it's not possible right you can do everything that's right honorable pure good faithful and you can still be in conflict you can still find yourself being rejected We need to do all we can to overcome evil with good. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I triple dog dare you to do that. I dare you to do something awesome for the person that frustrates you the most. And not, not just out of spite, but out of, out of sheer care and love, based on the amazing care and love you received from Christ. We need to do all we can to overcome evil with good. How so? Well, as we pursue Righteousness. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Are you pursuing righteousness? Apparently Noah was. Psalm thirty-seven, thirty-nine says, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And we ask, well, when? When do you save? When will you come? And Matter of fact, David cries out sometimes in the midst of his difficulty. Goes, Where are you? When will you come through for me? Amen. Know for sure that he knows exactly what you're doing and what you're dealing with, and he knows exactly when you will need the help in his time. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He delivers them. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus tells us, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." There it is again. We need to pursue righteousness not just the kingdom, but his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, that we be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that's God's complete purpose in you is that you would become the righteousness of Christ through placing your faith and trust in him so that you can finally, freely walk in what he's called you to do. Beloved, we need to do all we can to overcome evil with good as we pursue righteousness. But not only that, as we pursue blamelessness, Noah was a righteous man. Did you hear what else it said? Blameless in his generation. Blameless. The Hebrew word here is tamim. That is, he was complete, whole, entire, sound, healthful, wholesome, unimpaired, innocent, full of integrity, that which is complete or entirely in accord with truth and fact. He just was not corrupt. He was blameless. Now, this generation in Noah's day was definitely under God's just blame, but Noah was blameless. And of course, if they were under God's just blame, they were now going to be subject to God's ultimate justice. And I'd like to remind you that God has judged the world before, and we're going to look at that over the next several weeks. We'll talk about the storm and how to get through the storm. So stay tuned for that the next coming weeks here as we look at Noah's flood. But God judged before and know for certain as you are sitting there that he will most certainly judge again. Peter writes to this. Remember who Peter is? Peter, one of the very best friends of Jesus. This won't be on the screen, but listen close. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Peter 3. Knowing this first of all, Peter writes, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It doesn't seem like God's ever going to return. I mean, when is Jesus ever going to return? You keep talking about his return, but when's it going to happen? And you're kind of boring us with your talk of it. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Other translations, like the New American Standard says, it escapes their notice. I love that phrase. It escapes their notice that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. To this day, it is escaping our planet's notice that God has judged the world by water before. Now, let's think for a second. If there was a global flood what we expect to find. We would expect to find billions and billions of dead things buried in sedimentated rock all over the planet. What do you find? Billions and billions of dead things buried all over the planet in sedimentated rock. It's all over the place. Huge coal fields. I mean, we're talking trillions of cubic metric tons of coal just out in Wyoming, Colorado alone. Coal seams everywhere. And we all know what the coal was. You could take the ride, go to Chicago, go to the Museum of Science and Industry, get in the little coal mine car and go down to the basement. It's a facsimile. It's not actually a coal mine. But you get in the basement of the science building, and it's a coal mine. And inside, you'll see the root and branch structure of what was once vegetation that's now been coalized, because that's what it was. We all know that's what the coal was. And we're still using it huge oil fields all over the place. It escapes their notice every time they fuel up their car at five bucks a gallon that God judged the world before. And mark my word as we're marking his word. He's going to do it again. Last one was a wet one. What's the next one? It's going to be a hot one. It escapes their notice but by the same word, verse 7, 2 Peter, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now people will take this and go, see, Genesis is really thousands and thousands of years in terms of the creation. No, it wasn't. It just wasn't. See, A day is always what for us? It's always a day, but for God, it's like a thousand years. Why? Because he sees it all. He sees it all at the same time. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Ah, there it is again. all the God. Remember a long time ago, oh, which election was it? it was, was it Clinton way back there? Uh, you know, it's the economy stupid. Remember that. Remember that phrase. That was the phrase. It was, it's 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 the righteousness. <laughs> okay, that's the issue. It's the righteousness. And God's going to deal with us so that we'll finally walk rightly with Him for all eternity. As we pursue righteousness, as we pursue blamelessness. Thirdly, here as we walk with God, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. We saw this last week. How do we walk with God? We walk by faith in Christ. We walk by the spirit of Christ. We walk in the knowledge of Christ. We walk in Christ's love. We walk in a manner worthy of Christ. That's what we talked about last week. Just like Enoch did. And here Noah was walking with God. And not only that, he protected his heritage. As we pursue righteousness as we pursue blamelessness as we walk with god and as we protect our heritage noah had three sons shem ham and japheth ah that we would protect our heritage with our kids and our kids kids hero israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart you, tell, you shall teach them diligently to your children. shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, many Jews have taken that very, very literally, and they have the phylacteries on their heads and on their hands, holding God's word close to their minds at the right hand. Oh, that we would raise up a generation that would follow Christ. Beloved, we can't do any of this in our own strength. We will fail on our own. This is why we desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We can only do this in the power of Christ. Christ in us through faith, the hope of glory, Scripture says. But remember, I told you it was a tale of two Kevins. The first Kevin destroyed himself, he's gone. But there was another Kevin in another church. Wonderful family, several little boys. And he aspired to be an elder. And of course, uh, he was put in a position of being an elder. And at one point, he became convicted over his own sin. And he made acknowledgment that he was wrestling with As we go to the Lord in prayer, we can ask the simple questions here. Are you pursuing Christ and his righteousness? If you're not, what do you need to change today? Are you choosing to find ways to overcome evil with good? Are you walking with God daily? Seeking his face. It's my prayer that you're finding victory in the process. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need your help in all of this. In our own strength, we will surely fail. But This is why you sent your Son, that we can put our faith and trust in him. And we'll be empowered by your Holy Spirit that takes up residence in every believer. We'll have access to to the mind of Christ access to the fruit of the Spirit that can now freely pour out of us as we walk with you. Lord, may it be said of us that you are our God and that we are simply your people. That we might find favor as we entrust ourselves with you, as we seek righteousness and blamelessness, walking with you growing in our faith, growing in our journey, being used by you to touch hearts and lives around us as we do all we can to love on people based on how you've loved us so much, that we be willing to forgive as we've been forgiven, that we be willing to lay down our lives the way you've laid your life down for even us, Lord God, we know we can't do this in our own strength. We need your help to do that. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and help us. Use us for your purposes. Knowing full well that you've judged before and you most certainly will judge again. There is great evil in this world that you will deal with. We know this. May it be that it does not escape our notice that you will move again here, and perhaps sooner than we think. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for those who are here longing to walk with you. Lord, strengthen them in their journey. And Lord, for those who do not know you, it's my prayer that they'd put their faith and trust in you, even right now in the quietness of this moment, Invite you to be Savior. Ask you for forgiveness.